Good morning, sanctuary. Will you pray with me? May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our tower, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. So it's been a while um, since I've preached, and I'm so glad to have the opportunity to be with our faith community in this way again. And being that renouncing and announcing is our Lent theme, my first thought was renouncing Satan um, and, and, and announcing our liberty through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the words that I tend to use for renouncing Satan is, not today, Satan. <laughs> not today. Um, the reading for today is Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he says, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he says, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him and the angels came and attended him. Before we launch um, into this today, I want to acknowledge throughout Christian history, there have been numerous views and perspectives on the devil, from this passage and from others. So whatever you might think personally, I think it's fair to say that the story points to a universal experience of contending with temptation. For me personally, what I encounter more than any existential being called the devil, I encounter myself, my own failings, my own darkness. I encounter how I have been selfish, how I've been unkind, how I have been misaligned with God or malaligned with God, and what God intends for me and my family and the people who I love. So rather than blame some existential being out there who I am pretty sure exists, I am evangelical after all, um, I, think, I think he is real, but um, rather than to, to talk about that or, or hang on that, I'd rather talk about my decisions not to bring God's justice forward. I want to talk about my own ego, my own darkness, and my ego is indeed my adversary. I want to frame the readings of the temptation of Christ in this way. In the chapter right before this, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit of God descends upon him, and the Creator says, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. I think doves and like flowers start to spray around, and Jesus is, Jesus is now Jesus, and, we, and he is now the, you know, the Son of God, and God is pleased. But shortly after this moment, he's ushered away into the wilderness to be tested. The temptation that Christ endures can be understood in the light of his identity, which God has just um, announced, and that his mission and his pathway is indeed spirit-led. I propose that we frame the temptations we encounter on the daily and the temptations of Christ as distractions, as detours that can take us out of the alignment with God. They disconnect us from community and from communion by focusing on the I rather than focusing on God. 
I will eventually get to unpacking these, but I'd like to share a quick little um, confession with you. And then I'll dive into the scriptures more in detail. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, I teach a class called Performing Autobiography. It's a class that's uh, generally upper-level seniors. They have lots of energy. Um, they have lots of questions. They're really engaged. And it's kind of a little bit of an energy suck. Uh, they, like, just pull it right from you. Sometimes they don't have their homework. Sometimes they interrupt. Sometimes they just, like, just throw a fit, as graduate students tend to do. Um, and resist, and they resist, which is, which is often fine. So between where I teach this class and my office, I have to pass a sort of wilderness of my own. Um, do you mind showing it? Thank you so much, please. Um, <laughs> on the walk to my office, I have to pass Molly's cupcakes. Now, perhaps this is not your temptation. This is, may not be your test. But I find myself doing a whole lot of mental gymnastics, trying to justify why I should have a cupcake on Tuesdays and Thursdays after work. It goes a little bit like this. But Chris, you work all day. You work 40, 40 hours a week. You can have a cupcake. You can have just a cupcake. Who, can't, who works as hard and can't have a cupcake? You can have a cupcake. You're a good teacher. You deserve a cupcake. Give yourself a cupcake, Chris. And in truth, if I can be confessional, as our tradition invites me to, I'm just starting to become insolent resistant as I near 40. I can thank my mother and my father and their genes for that. Uh, so it's actually not healthy for me to have a cupcake on Tuesdays and Thursdays, every Tuesday and Thursday, <laughs> even though I love cupcakes. And in fact, I can only withstand the desire for having these cupcakes three of the five times. So on a good day, when I'm face-to-face -face with my own desires, my own proclivities, and my own vulnerabilities, right as I'm trying to understand how to live a better life, eat more greens, do more exercise, dance more than I'm dancing now, the resistance is real. But on a good day, I can look at Molly's Cupcake Store and I can say, not today, Satan. <laughs> not today, not today. I'm just going to go home. And so I take, my, I take my cue from Jesus when Satan prompts him to turn these stones into bread. And so Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, or a time of testing. And the first temptation Christ endures can be categorized as a tempting of the body. It's to turn stones into bread. I mean, after all, in Matthew 14, 13 to 21, Jesus multiplies bread to feed the 5,000. So the act itself doesn't seem to be outside of the authority or the purview of Christ. But perhaps what's different about feeding the 5,000 and this moment in the wilderness is that when Christ feeds the 5,000, he's being other-centered. He's putting his attention on others. And this provocation from Satan is to use his divine nature, his privilege to satisfy himself. Christ's response is smooth. It's Deuteronomy 8.3, which is, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. And there's some cute intertextuality going on here. Intertextuality being a smart word for when a text references another text. Jesus, as recorded in the Christian scriptures, is referencing the Torah. He is, after all, a good Jewish man. He knows the Torah. He knows the stories. He knows Deuteronomy 8.3. And particularly, he knows the story of how the children of Israel were disobedient to God after being delivered from Egypt, and even then, while being led through the desert for 40 years, God, God still fed them. Christ quotes the Torah saying, I recognize where they have erred in not trusting God in the past. And in this moment, I'm choosing to trust God to feed me rather than 
to use my divine privilege or my power to do it for myself. I'm not going to get off the plan. I'm not going to get off the route that the Spirit has led me. I see Christ here not using his privilege or his divinity to escape the true and uncomfortable situation and the deadly situation, often for people all around the world, of human hunger. Another key difference is Christ's ethos. He came to serve others and not himself. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. It's important to also note that the excerpt starts with the Spirit led him into the wilderness. The devil did not ambush God. He didn't, like, catch God on the sneak tip. This was, like, a planned entry. He was led from right after, right after being imbued with, with, with the Spirit, he was led right into the wilderness to be tempted. And he was not entirely alone. The Spirit was with him. So to make stones into bread in this way, to satiate hunger, would be to divert the purpose and the reason the Spirit urged him there in the first place. It would be to divert the mission and the plan of God. The second temptation, Satan brings Christ to the holy city and has him stand on the highest point of the temple and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written that he shall command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Now the devil has gotten crafty. He's now quoting Psalms 1:13. Jesus is just as crafty. He responds with, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Putting oneself in danger so that God will have to rescue you would not actually be an act of faith, but of one of mistrust. Not of whether God would save you, but whether you are who God says you are. Whether you are his beloved, whether you are actually special to him, as we all are. Satan's provocation to Jesus to throw himself from a high place in order to prove that God will protect him could have been given in the desert. He could have done that in the desert. He could have found a high cliff from which to throw himself off violently in a life-threatening way. But I would wager that Satan wanted Jesus to throw himself down somewhere where people could see it happen. Then obviously the temple in Jerusalem is the most fitting site for such a public display. And that transportation to the pinnacle of the temple, to the highest place, to the center of Jewish worship, the highest place in all of Israel is by its very nature public, historical, and has significance. The provocation is clear. Prove you are unique. Just as this acceptation that we too must confess as Christians. We must confront it. We must confess and somehow confront the weird place of being both blessed and also being of service. Finding humility in our exceptionalism, if that's a possibility. The children of Israel again contend with Moses in this way, saying, you brought us out of Egypt only to make us, our children, and our livestock die of thirst. This sort of doubt, this sort of distrust concerning God is all about who he says we are, who he is, and our dependence on our relationship with him. I experience a dis dissidence um, when I forget who I am, and this happens in email, most of all. <laughs> so when my colleagues don't read my emails, I'm tempted to conclude that I don't matter, um, that they don't care about me, um, and that they're not listening, and I get real malaligned from Christ real quick. <laughs> and before I can even, like, get my better Christian mind around myself, I have already wrote back, as per my last email, <laughs> dot, 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 dot. Um, and then, just like that, I'm some other place. Um, and it has everything to do with forgetting that the Psalms of Solomon 2.4 says, the banner over me is love. 
and that my worth is not externally validated because it's God assured. So I find myself when dealing with emails, when I lack tone and inflection, I'm not sure what my colleagues actually mean when they say what they say. But what I do encounter is my perception that they don't mean good for me. And so what I'm contending with is my own personal stuff around this email, email culture and communication. And I find myself being actually quite aggressive in my emailing to my colleagues, being like, well, I said this last week. You weren't listening. Or I said this, I said that. And so there's a moment where I've fallen out of alignment with God, and I have fallen into a trap. Not a trap that was designed by some existential being, but a trap of my own ego, a trap of my own forgetting who I am in Christ. I kind of want to be my best self. I want to be my best self in Christ. And that is putting my attention and believing God says who I am and that I am who God says I am, which is loved. Finally, the last temptation is one of power and wealth. Satan leads Christ up to a high place and shows him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor and authority and says, it has been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will be all yours. And Christ replies, it's written that we should worship the Lord our God and serve only him. Jesus considered the fact that he could become an earthly ruler. This plays into the ideas that some people have about the Messiah, that he would come and overturn Rome and set up an earthly kingdom. But Christ's kingship and kinship is installed not through conquest, but through self-giving love and sacrifice. This false move, as suggested by Satan, would shortcut his sacrifice at Calvary. But Christ establishes amidst the God's plan and changes the fabric of social relations and challenges social systems through love, not through conquest, not through power, but through love. And each temptation is an appeal to his human ego. And very importantly, in each case, Jesus points to a reference beyond himself. He defers to the will that is higher than his own. What does he do at the end of this wilderness journey? Where does he go? How does he behave? He returns to Galilee. He walks down the lake's shoreline, and he calls his first disciple. He walks down the shoreline, and he calls us. He's chosen not the way of a solitary ego, but the way of community sharing and relationship. The temptation from ego is to disconnect, to shortcut, to prove, to get distracted, to deviate, to fall out of sync. But Christ is asking us and calling us into a we, not an I. And for me, at this last moment, I'm going off script. I find myself um, with the passage of, or the signing of some of these new laws that um, are impacting LGBTQ I have people, I find myself tempted to run. There's a, something inside of me that says it's time to go. And even though I have friends who I've cried at their kitchen tables and I've held their hands and I feel very warmly welcomed here in Iowa, it's not true for everyone and not true for all people. There's a, there's a temptation that I want to give into to leave, but there's something about steadfastness and holding steady that I think is what I am being called to do, not necessarily what everyone is being called to do. If the Spirit says go, go with the Spirit. But there's something about steadfastness and allowing steadfastness to have its full effect. 
Even Pharaoh is on our tail. Even if he chases us to against a wall, there's something to know that Christ can indeed, that God can indeed make a way out of no way. And I'm leaning in on his everlasting arms. I would like to take a couple of minutes of prayer. Um, I want to invite you to think about a moment when you may have felt tempted or triggered. Triggered might be an easier one to contend with, um, to be out of alignment with God. Maybe you have forgotten who you are. Maybe you've forgotten who God has called you to be or said you are, how precious and wonderfully, beautifully made you are. Perhaps you've forgotten that in an email. (laughs) We find our example in Christ, which is to remember who we are. We need not prove or justify. We are just love. So let's take a few minutes to find this moment and uh, to reflect on it. Take for three minutes to do so. We know what the Lord does require of us, which is to love justice, practice mercy, and walk humbly with God. We ask that the Lord puts our attention towards the things that we are slightly malaligned with, but we can fall back into alignment with Christ by putting Christ as a visionary and ahead of us as we go in our daily travels and our daily movings through the world. And for the word of God that is found in scripture, for the word of God that is found in our church, and for the word of God that is found in our hearts, praise be to God.